Well, last week we looked at the interesting similarities between the story of the Grinch and how he, uh, in essence, was converted by love. His heart was melted by agape love. And today I want to look at another well-known story. I was surprised last week how many people indicated they had never seen the Grinch. It is one of those modern Christmas classics, if you will, even though it doesn't directly tie in with Scripture, the underlying message, as we saw last week, is very, very relevant to the story of the birth of Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, and the power of His love to redeem us. Let's pray first. Let's do that. Father God, we thank You for this time together this morning, this very special day as we are gathered to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday before Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Lord, thank you for drawing the whole world's attention to the most important event in human history. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this time of study in your word today to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas in the proper manner. Not in the ways of this world, seeking and pursuing the gratification of the flesh. We will have our fun, we'll have our gatherings, our meals, our gifts, but Lord, help us to truly focus on what Christmas is really all about, and that is the incarnation, the nativity, the coming into this world of your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to bless this teaching now, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever said... I wish I'd never been born. I've heard people say that. It's a sad thing to hear someone say that, but sometimes the uh, trials and tribulations of life can really bear down heavily on a person. You know, um, it's like that expression that we, a more modern expression we hear, life sucks and then you die. And that's a sad thing too when you hear people say that. And obviously that's an indicator that... Uh, you're not in right relationship with God if that's your attitude. I wish I'd never been born. And it reminds me of the story, again, one of the most popular and famous of all Christmas films, It's a Wonderful Life. I would suspect most of you guys are very familiar with it. I don't know how many times my wife and I have watched it. It's a classic. And that was back in the day when they made movies without profanity and without other things that we wish they wouldn't put in movies, right? But let me just, uh, for those who may not remember or may not be familiar, let me read a little synopsis here of the story. George Bailey, that's Jimmy Stewart, the great Jimmy Stewart, late great. George Bailey has spent his entire life giving of himself to the people of Bedford Falls. He's always longed to travel but never had the opportunity in order to prevent rich skin flint, Mr. Potter, from taking over the entire town. All that prevents him from doing so is George's modest building and loan company, which was founded by his generous father. But on Christmas Eve, George's Uncle Billy loses the business's $8,000, which, by the way, when this movie was made, that was a lot of money. It's still a lot of money for most of us, but it was really a lot of money back then. He loses the $8,000 while intending to deposit it in the bank. Potter finds the misplaced money and hides it from Billy. 
When the bank examiner discovers the shortage later that night, George realizes that he will be held responsible and sent to jail, and the company will collapse, finally allowing Potter to take over the town. Thinking of his wife, their young children, and others he loves will be better off with him dead, he contemplates suicide. But the prayers of his loved ones result in a gentle angel named Clarence coming to earth to help George with the promise of earning his wings. Clarence. He hasn't gotten his wings yet. He shows George what things would have been like if he'd never been born, if George had never been born. In a nightmarish vision in which the Potter-controlled town is sunk in sex and sin, again, not depicted nearly the way it would be today, much more, you know, subtle. Those George loves are either dead, ruined, or miserable. He realizes that he has touched many people in a positive way and that his life has truly been a wonderful one. So this morning, as we talk about the most important life ever lived, Jesus Christ, I would like for you to contemplate what life would be like if Jesus had never been born and what if you'd never been born. So we begin with Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Of course, this is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the coming of Christ. And the government will be upon his shoulder. So you'll find so often in the Old Testament when you have prophecies re regarding the Messiah, you have the first coming and the second coming all together in one passage. And that's what confused many people. And when Christ came into the world the first time, they conflated the first coming prophecies with the second coming prophecies. And so when Jesus didn't come in and take control and throw out the Romans and establish his throne, that really threw a lot of people off. Because what we see here in this verse we see something all the way from his birth until his second coming. Unto us a child is born, and this is a key word, born. We're going to be touching on that quite a bit. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That won't happen until he comes back. And all the governments of this world are taken down. And that's what we're in the process of seeing that happening now, by the way. And it has to happen. Because ultimately Christ will rule and reign on this planet. And so this is the second coming where the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So you notice all these titles can be applied and are applied to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Not only is he the Son of God, he is God incarnate. He is the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. One God, three persons, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Prince of Peace, he manifests himself as the Prince of Peace when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on the Sunday before Good Friday. Luke 2.11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 9.6. The word born, the definition of born, brought into life by birth. And so you have born, as John talks about in his gospel, John chapter 3, of the water and of the spirit. You have physical birth, you have spiritual birth, 
but born, to be born is to be brought into life by birth. It also means brought into existence, created. So for those of us here today, that, that applies perfectly to us. All of us here today have been born at least once. I hope everyone here today has been born twice. But there is a physical birth. Every human being, in order to get here, You've got to be born physically, right? But then the Bible says you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. We were brought into existence. We were created when we were born into this world. Had we never been born, we would never have existed, period. Had we never existed we would never have had the opportunity to know God. I, I think I shared that recently with you guys, that I thank God just for existing, for being born, for being brought into this world so that I would have the opportunity to know Him. Again, it's, a, it's up to us to choose. He will not force His way into our life. He will knock at the door, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He will knock at the door of your heart, but He will not force His way in. You have to invite Him in. But had we never existed, we would never have the opportunity to know God and be saved. So when somebody says, I wish I'd never been born, what a horrible thing to think or to say. Had you never been born, you would never have had the opportunity to know God, to be born again, and to live forever in His presence. So personally, I don't know about you guys, but I thank God for being born. And the trials and tribulations that we face in this life are temporary we're here for, what, 70 years, 80 years, maybe less, maybe more, which is nothing in light of eternity. Now, when you look at Jesus being born into this world as the Son of God, it takes on a whole different meaning. Why? Well, John eight fifty eight, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, either Jesus had very poor grammar or he's telling us something here. What he's saying is, before Abraham was born, Jesus existed. He doesn't say, I was or I will be. I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am what? Exodus 3.13 and 14. Remember, Moses is having this talk with the burning bush. God is speaking to him from the burning bush. Moses is resisting, very strongly resisting God's call to go and set his people free in Egypt. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses telling the children of Israel, Who sent you, Moses? You've been gone a long time. I am. And so when Jesus told the Pharisees, Before Abraham was, Before Abraham existed, Before Abraham was born into this world, I am. He was telling them that he is God. So the birth of Christ is a whole different 
ball game than our birth. We did not exist, in spite of what some aberrant teachings might indicate, pre-existence, we did not exist until God created us and brought us into this world, whereas Christ existed eternally with the Father. So consider the following. First of all, Jesus was born into this world approximately 2,000 years ago as a human male child, but then he also existed before Abraham came into existence. Therefore, he existed prior to his birth here on earth. He told the disciples in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, only the great I am could make that statement. Mark 14, 61 and 62, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. Luke twenty two seventy. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. So you may have heard people make this claim. In fact, as I've pointed out before, virtually every false belief system, there are many of them on the planet, many of them claim to be part of the family of believers, of Christianity. They would, they would tell you, yeah, we, we are Christians, but they deny perhaps the most important belief that we hold as Christians, and that is that Jesus is God. If he's merely a man, then that's the end of the whole ball game. Those who say that Jesus never claimed deity clearly haven't engaged in a thorough reading of the scriptures. You've seen through these multiple scriptures I've just read, he very clearly did identify as deity, as God incarnate, God in the flesh. And that's the whole point of Christmas, isn't it? That God became a man. One of the names designated for Messiah in the scriptures is Emmanuel, which means God, what? With us, right? God with us. John 7, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer than I go to him who sent me. That tells us where he came from. He came from the Father. The Father sent him down to this world to be the Savior of the world. You will seek me and not find me in where I am. You cannot come. Not yet, anyway. He told them, he went on to tell the disciples in John chapter 14 that he was going to prepare a place for them, and that would include us. That where he is, we may be also. John 18, 6. I love, I've always loved this part of the gospel story where Christ is there in the garden praying. Peter, James, and John keep dozing off. But then the soldiers come to arrest him. He doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He just steps right out there and identifies himself. And so in John 18, 6, Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They were blown away by just the power of his presence. And when he breathed out those words, I am he, they fell backwards and fell to the ground. As we read through the Gospels, we find Jesus using this I am over and over again. He says, I am the gate. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I am the true vine, I am the light of the world, and on and on it goes. So again, unlike the rest of us, including George Bailey here in the story of It's a Wonderful Life, Jesus existed before he had a human body. By calling himself I am, he is clearly presenting himself to us as God. For some 6,000 years now, people, billions of people have been born and have died on this planet. But only one time in all of human history has God been born upon this earth. Think about that. It's, it's kind of sad in a way that this gets lost on all the man-made trappings surrounding this holiday. And again, as we know, 99.9% .9 chance Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. But that's not the point. The point is it... It's one day set aside every year where the whole world is once again reminded of this most important event in human history, that God came down to earth. God became a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in John chapter 1. If we'd never been born, folks, we would not exist and therefore could not know God and spend eternity with Him in paradise. If Jesus had never been born, our existence would be meaningless and hopeless. Let's just be honest about that. It breaks my heart to think that there are so many millions and even billions of people in this world who have no connection or concept of this. This is no small thing. God invaded this planet a little over 2,000 years ago born of the Virgin Mary. Birth really is the key to everything, folks, for without birth there can be no life. Without physical birth, you would have never been here. Without spiritual birth, you would not have eternal life. You would eventually be facing eternal death. Eternal death is a, is a conscious state of existence. You've heard me say this more than once if you've been here very long. I think this is a tremendous way to explain to people what's the difference. Again, those who don't choose to believe in God, to know God, to serve God, they try to comfort themselves with the belief that, well, there's nothing after this life. This is all there is, and then there's nothing. But here's the deal. We talk about being born, about existing. Once you've been brought into existence, you're going to be around forever. Did you know that? Not in this body. This is just a vehicle. I always think of my body like my car. I get in my car. It takes me where I want to go. And then I get out. The car isn't me. It's just my mode of transportation. This is my vehicle. One day this vehicle is going to wear out. And I'm going to get a new one. And it's going to be supercharged. We're all going to exist forever. But just like some people say, I wish I'd never been born, life sucks, then you die. Well, without God, without Christ, that's what it is. It's just existing. Apart from God, you will exist for all eternity, but you will exist in an eternal conscious state of death. The Bible talks about outer darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. We also read some stuff about fire, right? 
Now, whether that's literally flames licking up around you or it's just this burning within the knowledge that you had an opportunity to spend eternity with God and you rejected it. That, we all know that oftentimes mental, emotional pain can be worse than physical, right? It's not going to be a good place to be. But the good news, you can live forever with God in paradise by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But either way, you're going to exist forever. Now, in this life, is the time to choose. Are you going to have an everlasting life in Christ or are you going to have everlasting death apart from Him? That's what we're talking about. Birth is the key to everything. You've already been born. It's too late to turn back now. But without birth, there can be no life. Obviously, without physical birth, you wouldn't be here. But now if you want true, everlasting life, then you must be born again by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, inviting His Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. Let's look at that story again for a moment. It's a wonderful life. George asks the angel, Clarence, Look, who are you? I told you, George. I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. What else are you? What, are you a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Then if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. And here's the deal, folks. So many people apart from God, apart from Christ, think they have this tremendous identity. Maybe they're a titan of industry, you know, a CEO of a big corporation, some political figure of stature, an entertainer, an, art, an artist, a singer, songwriter, and they think they have this tremendous identity. But it's just like what the angel just told George. If you haven't been born again, you're nobody. And that goes for every one of us, apart from God, apart from Christ. It doesn't matter whatever you may accomplish in this life. If you don't know God, it all will mean nothing in the end. You're nobody. You have no identity. And it's a challenge, folks, because even as believers, sometimes we, we're looking in the wrong places for our identity. Our identity is in Christ, a child of God, born again, forgiven, saved, set free. That's our identity. John 1.11. He came to his own, to the people of Israel. His own did not receive him. Some did, but we know that as a nation, following their wicked, evil leaders, he was rejected. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We're not born into this world children of God. We become children of God as that right is bestowed upon us by Jesus Christ as we put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. To those who believe in his name, we've talked about this pretty recently, I think. Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, 
God is our salvation, the anointed one. Believing in his name means that you believe he is all those things. Who were born, not of blood, here's that word again, born, brought into existence, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. See, when we're born into this world physically, we're born of the blood, we're born of the flesh, we're born by the will of man and woman. You ever heard that expression? When you were just a twinkle in your mother's eye or your father's eye? Nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the word. He was born into this world. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, as a result of our physical birth, we became the children of our human parents. But it is through spiritual birth, rebirth, that we become children of God. Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, Nick at night. Remember, he came at night. He didn't want anybody to see that he was going to talk to Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He could get in big trouble. The Sanhedrin, by and large, were not on Jesus' side. The ruling council of the 70 made up the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John 3, 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old, or born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this guy is supposed to be one of the spiritual leaders in Israel. He doesn't get it. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, and the Spirit, because what happens, when do you know the baby's on the way when the mother's water breaks, right? Of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So physical birth makes it possible to also know spiritual birth, but without spiritual birth, physical birth is a curse rather than a blessing. Think about that. Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man, Jesus, goes just as it is written of Him. So Jesus is saying what God has planned and intended for me is going to happen. I am going to be betrayed, turned over to evil men, mocked, beaten, crucified. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. That would be Judas, right? It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And this is Jesus, the author of life, saying this. God is pro-life. We've talked about this many times. God is the author of life. But in the case of Judas, who by his own choice became irredeemable, Jesus said it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So this may sound rather harsh, but I think it's important to speak the truth, don't you? And the truth is, without spiritual birth, without being born again, Physical birth is a curse rather than a blessing because you are destined for an eternal existence 
apart from God, apart from Christ, an existence of torment by your own choosing. Remember, birth, as we learn from the definition, equals existence. Jesus said it would be better not to have been born, not to exist, than to betray him. And how do we betray him? By rejecting him. You see, God sends his Holy Spirit to speak to people's hearts. At some point, everyone in this room that is a born-again Christian, you heard the still, small voice of God speaking to your heart and your mind, didn't you? Telling you that this is true. God is real. Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really did die on the cross for your sins, and he really did rise from the dead. We've all heard that voice. So if we reject that truth, and that, by the way, according to the late great Pastor Chuck Smith, my mentor, my former pastor, he explained what was a difficult scripture to me regarding blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I've heard many people over the years say, gee, I'm worried, I'm afraid maybe I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's no hope for me. Well, if you're worried about it, chances are you haven't, okay? And the way Chuck defined it was this. You see, when the Holy Spirit speaks the truth to you about God, about Jesus Christ, and you ignore him, when you reject that truth, if you do that throughout your life, and then you come to the point of death, and you still have rejected that, then that is the betrayal of Christ. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because when you say, no, 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 Jesus isn't the Son of God, that's a bunch of malarkey, I don't believe that. Essentially, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But you still have an opportunity until you breathe your last breath. And I, several years ago, I, I had what I felt was kind of a revelation. Up until the very moment of death, somebody can be saved, you know that? Because it's all based on him. It's not based on us. It's not based upon our good works. It's based upon faith. Now, human beings might say, well, yeah, right, sure. Now that you're dying, you accept Christ. You lived your whole life for yourself. And that's like the parable where the owner of the vineyard, he hires some people in the morning, remember? They work all day. They receive a wage. Some other guys come along. He hires them in the middle of the day. They receive the same wage. And then some of them come in at the last minute and barely work at all, and he gives them the same wage. And the guys that worked all day were pretty upset. We worked all day, and they got just as much as we did. And the owner says, too bad. I can do what I want. I can give it to whoever I want. And who are you to say that somebody can't get saved on their deathbed? Who are you to say that somebody can't breathe their last breath and receive Christ? They can. And see, that's because we, we have a hard time shaking off this mentality that somehow we are saved because we deserve it. <laughs> Pretty funny, isn't it? We don't deserve it at all. And we can never do anything to deserve it. We can never be good enough to earn God's grace and mercy, to earn his salvation. And so I would like that to be an encouragement to you guys today, that there may be people who have departed this world that you're still troubled about and you're wondering, well, I, I, got, a, I got a feeling I'm not going to see him up there. 
maybe there's a much greater chance that you will than you think. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. With God, all things are possible. You don't think he can't go to that person on their deathbed and at the last moment just draw them in. I think he would and could and probably has in many cases. Because what God is concerned with is eternity. This moment, the grass withers, the flower fades. Our lives are like a vapor, a mist. In light of eternity, they're so short. God is concerned about eternity and he wants as many of his created beings, human beings, the product of his love, he wants as many in his eternal kingdom as he can possibly get there. So, to reject Jesus as Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and to live for ourselves instead of living for Him is to betray Him. And so I would propose, I love the story of It's a Wonderful Life, but without Jesus, I think George Bailey's original premise would have been correct. Better if I'd never been born. And even though there's no blatant Christian theme in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey exemplified agape love by his self-sacrificing lifestyle beginning with the time he saved his brother from drowning. Remember that part of the story? In this alternate reality where George was never born and Clarence is showing him what everything would have been like without him, he's taken to his brother's tombstone. Kind of like the Christmas Carol story with Ebenezer Scrooge where he sees his own tombstone. But here it's George's brother, Clarence, the angel, says, Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. George says, That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Clarence, every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? And there is a message there for us in that. No matter what we may go through in this life, it truly is a wonderful life when we are in Christ. And I know we're living through a difficult time right now. I'm pretty much an optimistic, positive person. But it's been a struggle even for me, what we've been going through lately with the pandemic, with the political situation. But we need to remind ourselves that in Christ, we truly have a wonderful life. First John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. I love this verse. If you have the Son, you have life. How do you get the Son? You simply, as we read from John chapter 1, to receive Him, to believe in His name. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I'm afraid we've gotten to a day and age where this message is not really being clearly brought forth in many churches today. Doing what we're doing here this morning is not just about making people feel good. Sometimes you've got to feel bad before you feel better. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of people right now are getting the vaccine. 
There's a lot of questionable things about that vaccine, folks. I suggest you research it very carefully before you even consider taking it. And if I was going to make a recommendation, I would recommend not. I'll, I'll stick with the blood of Christ. And if he takes me home, that's a promotion. But church, the ecclesia, Greek, the called out ones, that's us, the body of Christ. What we're doing here today, it's not about just tickling people's ears, which I'm no good at, <laughs> making people feel better. I, I think we've been made to feel better today. But at the same time, we must hear the truth and respond to the truth. There is no gray area when it comes to God, the Creator, when it comes to His Son, Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You're here today, you're breathing, you're a living, breathing organism, but if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. So if you want to have a wonderful life, then you must have Christ. And you can, because it doesn't depend on how good or bad you are. It all depends on Him and His completed work on the cross of Calvary, where He paid the price for your sins and my sins. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago, every human being now has the hope, the opportunity to be born again and live forever. Lord, help us to do more to make people aware of that opportunity. Amen? Because it's, it's the whole ballgame. If you betray Christ by rejecting Him, better to not have been born. You've heard me use this expression probably many times. Born once, that's the physical birth, die twice. You will first have a physical death and then you will have an eternal death, which will be a conscious state of existence. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. That's when we get out of this vehicle and then we move on to our new, improved, supercharged eternal vehicle. This is a time when there's so much focus on giving and receiving of gifts and we know that that was established to remind us of the greatest gift. And unfortunately, many times all these trappings override and hinder and mask what it's really all about. The greatest gift ever given and the greatest gift ever received is the gift of what? Eternal life. The new birth in Jesus Christ. Luke 2.11 For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father God, first of all, I would like to ask forgiveness and I suspect many here would join in with me. For those times when we might complain or think, wow, I wish I'd never been born, life is a bummer, and then you die, and those kind of thoughts, Lord. As a believer, we certainly shouldn't have those thoughts because truly our life in Christ is a wonderful life because it doesn't end here on earth. 
It's an eternal life. It's a wonderful, eternal life in Christ. And though we may have to go through some difficulties here in this life, some suffering, Lord, that just reminds us all the more of how powerful your love is and how wonderful your gift of grace and mercy to us is. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we approach this upcoming Christmas this week to keep focused on what it's really all about. We can have our fun, our parties. I'm not supposed to, <laughs> but we will. We can do all the things we normally do, but help us not to forget the most important part, what it's really all about. Lord, there'd be no reason to celebrate, to give gifts, receive gifts, have great meals, family gatherings, friends gathering together. None of that would even have any meaning if it were not for Christ coming into this world 2,000 years ago, born of the Virgin Mary, growing up, living a, a perfect, sinless life so that he could be the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we don't want to even think about what it would be like if you'd never come, but we're sure glad that you did. And Father, as we close this morning, I would pray for anyone here today that may not be sure of where they stand with you. We know that you're only a prayer away, that all we have to do is just confess our sins before you, ask your forgiveness, invite you to come and live inside of us, and we can be born again. We can receive that precious gift of eternal life. So I'm going to ask everyone just kind of keep your heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to receive Christ, you've never done that before. This would be a first-time thing. Anyone? Okay, I do see a hand back there. We will pray for you and just, yes, do that right now. Father, I lift this one up to you that's got their hand up, and I pray that you'd help them right now to just, uh, uh, in their own heart and mind, pray that prayer, confessing their sins, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would come into their life, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them the strength, Lord, to live for you each day. And now for others' prayer needs, if you'd raise your hands, please, we'd like to pray for you as well. Whatever it might be, finances, relationships, encouragement. Father, you've seen each hand this morning. Lord, we've talked about the fact that you presented to us the greatest gift ever known to man in the form of your son, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins, the free gift of eternal life that comes through faith in him. But Lord, you, you see each hand, you know each person, you know what's on their heart right now. And we need uh, some more gifts, some more miracles. Lord, we are not downplaying what you've already done for us. But we are a needy people. We recognize that a lot of it's because of our own sin and the sin of this world. Lord, we live in a world cursed by sin. We live in a fallen world, and so bad things happen even to good people, and we're only good because of Jesus. It's his righteousness. Thank you for imparting that righteousness to us. But Lord, we humbly beseech you this morning. We come before you. We ask for physical healing where needed. Lord, those here today know who they are. Father, right now, we ask you to reach out your healing hand and touch them. Lord, you know those that are struggling financially. We pray that you would provide for them any way you choose to do so, Lord. And if that involves members of the body of Christ chipping in, coming together, please make us aware of those needs so that we can 
be a part of the solution. But Lord, we know that you have many ways of taking care of us and providing for us. We pray that no one here today would go without those things that they need. The daily bread, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you provide all of the resources that we need. We thank you for that. We pray for healing of, of strained or broken relationships, that you would heal and repair those relationships whenever and however possible. Lord, for encouragement for those who are discouraged, downhearted, we know this year can be a great time of year, but right now it's pretty stressful for most people. We pray that you would lift depression, anxiety. Lord, your word tells us we're to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Help us to do that. Help us not to hold on to those things, Lord, that we can't fix and we can't change. We just need to give them to you and trust you. Help us to do that. Lord, for everyone that's raised their hand this morning, I pray that you would dispatch your heavenly messengers, your angels, to bring the answers, to bring the help and the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.